After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Hello, Evan. Today's guest is Barry Weinman, general partner with Associated Venture Investors and co-founder of Allegis Capital, a $500 million venture fund. Since 1980, Barry and his partners have helped take over 70 private companies public. Barry is co-founder of Highbeam and Dragon Bridge Capital. With his wife, Virginia, Barry created the Weinman Foundation, which established the Pacific Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Hawaii. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Barry Weinman. Welcome to our show, Barry. Thank you. So you're a venture capitalist. Could you tell us what you do in your own words? Venture capitalist? Well, uh, depending on, on how you look at it, entrepreneurs sometimes think as a venture capitalist of people on the dark side. We kind of think of ourselves in a different light. Uh, the idea is to try to help young entrepreneurs build great companies, world-class companies. We do that by raising money from different kinds of corporations, endowments, uh, wealthy individuals. We pool that money together, and then we use that money to capitalize young companies, and we try to bring our expertise and long-term experience, our Rolodex, in helping those companies build, develop, go global, and hopefully become public companies. How did you get started doing this? Well, I was an entrepreneur, and uh, like most entrepreneurs at the time, I hated venture capitalists, so I didn't raise any outside money. Uh, not because we didn't try, we just weren't able to do it. Um, started in the bedroom of our house in Palo Alto, my wife and I. Uh, we couldn't afford to go to the garage because we didn't need all of that space. We had a small bedroom. This was in 1972, and my wife, uh, prior to starting our little software company, uh, worked for IBM as a developer, and I was a national marketing manager for IBM. And we couldn't get IBM to build computers any smaller than the size of a large auditorium. Uh, and at that time, personal computers weren't invented yet, but mini computers were the big thing. So we teamed up with Hewlett Packard. We created a uh, software company. We developed it over seven years, and we got it public. And it was a great experience. And from that, I thought that I'd switch over to the other side and work with entrepreneurs who wanted to do a similar kind of thing. So how did you guys actually team up with Hewlett-Packard? Who approached them? How did that process work? How did you engage Hewlett -Packard them? Hewlett-Packard today is about a 60 or $70 billion company. At that time, it was a $200 million company. So Hewlett-Packard was small as against being big. But it was one of the great founding companies in Palo Alto, which is the heart of Silicon Valley. And they were looking for people to develop software for their hardware. And we were one of their first customers and became the largest seller of Hewlett-Packard computers in the early 70s. So it was a synergistic approach where we had a solution to the problem. They had the hardware, but without the solution to the problem, they couldn't sell the hardware. So what was the most important thing you learned from that experience in taking your first company, IPO? Focus. That's probably the thing that most entrepreneurs have to learn very early on, and that is that 
there are a lot of good ideas out there. People sometimes get uh, off the track by everything that walks in the door becomes another idea for them to kind of pursue. We stayed very focused on a single product line, and we became good at it, and we grew that. We also had all of our employees be owners in the company. So when we went, uh, we were merged and then went public, uh, the first nine employees in our company all became millionaires, including our receptionist. Wow. So when you, you have a home run like that right off the bat, I mean... It wasn't off the bat. Okay. It took, it took uh, almost eight years. But it was your first company that you had started. A lot of people are going through you know, two or three. If you look at like Hoku Scientific, it's not his first right. company. What, what did you guys do differently than other people are doing so that you could make your first company such a huge success? Well, timing is important, too. We were early in our marketplace, so many computers were just coming out, and there weren't very many applications for it. And we had the capabilities of recognizing the market because I was a national marketing manager for IBM's manufacturing systems, and my wife was a developer for IBM's manufacturing systems. So we had a combination of understanding the marketplace and understanding what the customer wanted, but IBM computers were very, very expensive into the multi-millions of dollars. Hewlett-Packard ex uh, computers were very inexpensive, and so we were able to disrupt the market by coming with a product that was one-tenth or sometimes even one-twentieth the cost of what the competing products were in the marketplace. So it was a timing issue. So how was it working with your wife then? Uh, <laughs> well, we're still married. Um, <laughs> but every time we, we have a long list of items that we consider in case we're going to get divorced, what are, the, what are the reasons for divorce? That was one of the earliest reasons, was working together 24 hours a day. We were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So uh, we slept in our office, we ate in our office, and we fought in our office. So what were some of the things that you did that maybe you can give advice to other people who work with their spouse to keep a thriving business relationship <laughs> as well as family relationship? Well, that's probably a real hard question. Um, I think you have to try to separate them, uh, your, your personal life from your business life, very hard to do. And you have to uh, compartmentalize responsibilities. In our case, my wife was in charge of development. Uh, I had to stay away from the developers. I was in charge of marketing and sales. Uh, she had to stay away from the customers. Uh, and whenever we were able to do that, we were successful. When we crossed each other's boundaries is when we got in trouble. So we learned that lesson rather early and then try to keep ourselves separate as if we were in a, in a company where our marriage had nothing to do with the company. Okay. Not easy. <laughs> yeah. How long were you folks married before you started this first company? Um, we were married, that was 1973, we've been, we were married in 63, 10 years. And did you folks ever have that hope of starting a company? No, it was an accident. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very frustrated as a national marketing manager for IBM that we could only go after very, very large customers and the small to medium sized customers who needed this, that kind of product and service were out in the cold. When Hewlett-Packard came along with a computer of, of that kind of price, I tried to get IBM to do the same thing, but I couldn't move them. So we, did, we started the company in frustration in order to satisfy some of our customers' needs, which is a good way to start a company, by the way. If you've got customers who want something, it's better to have that as your driving force than just your own ideas where you're trying to test them in the marketplace.
Was it hard for you to leave that kind of steady paying job along with your wife at the same time? Yeah, it was pretty scary because we had a mortgage. Um, we had grocery bills. Um, but it was a good time in Silicon Valley. Um, it was a time when people encouraged entrepreneurs and encouraged people to take risk. That, that That's very important. We were... Uh, willing to fail because we knew that if we failed, we could probably go back to our old jobs or jobs that were similar to that uh, because people respected risk takers. Is there um, a story or a moment that you can remember that was really, really tough for both of you, but you looked at each other across the table and said, it'll happen, just hang in there? Well, there was a period of time where uh, we had the market to ourselves. And as Hewlett-Packard became bigger and, and uh, more popular as a uh, developer of computers, other people began to enter the marketplace who were better capitalized, uh, who had uh, geographic uh, differentiation. So they might be on the East Coast. We were on the West Coast. Uh, our customers were global, uh, and we were having a difficult time supporting customers in Asia, in Europe. We supported customers around the world. Uh, but we didn't have the capital to do that. So capital became our, our driving concern because the faster we grew, the more capital you require. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle. You feel like a gerbil on a, uh, on a treadmill. And uh, at one point, we were feeling that our success was going to kill us. And then we... Uh, wound up in a merger with a bigger company who wanted who was able to support our product on a much more global basis and that's how we got to the public offering because this was the piece that they needed in order to have a new product in the market they were an established company so we probably were at a crossroads of either trying to raise money or being acquired and then going public and that's a very tough period for most entrepreneurs because you give up your freedom. But it turned out okay. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. How do you sell this company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Barry Weinman, co-founder of Allegis Capital, Highbeam, and Dragon Bridge Capital. Since 1980, Barry and his partners have helped take over 70 private companies public. Barry, you mentioned that your company was growing really quickly and, you know, eventually there was a merger. But you had mentioned that 
you had shared the equity of the company with all of your employees. I think you said seven or was it nine? Well, every employee in the company, and at our biggest point, uh, when we went into the merger, we had 50 employees. So every employee had some shares. The original nine all uh, did very well. How did you um, come up with that thought process that every person that you brought in was going to share in that equity instead of holding it, knowing that, you know, this is going to be successful? Well, um, that's a decision that every entrepreneur has to face. Uh, our, our view on it is that if people are owners, they treat the business as if they own the business. I always, I like the story about, do you rent a, uh, you ever go and rent a car? Most people have rented cars when they travel. Have they ever taken their car out, that car that they've rented out and wash it? No. Why? They don't own that car. They don't care about it. But most people will wash their own car if it gets dirty. So the concept of, of stock options and sharing equity is something that built Silicon Valley, and we were part of that. And so we felt that that was the right way to build a company, and I still feel that way. So what are those nine people doing now? A uh, couple of them went to the Stanford Business School, got their uh, MBAs. Um, a couple of them started... A similar company. Two of them went to Australia and started the same company. They've got a big company over there now. Uh, people kind of went their own ways. This was the late 70s, and we haven't kept up with everybody, but uh, I think it gave a lot of people a start. And what usually happens in a successful entrepreneurial uh, environment is that they go out and start other companies. You, you kind of use one company to grow many. In San Diego, in uh, the middle 80s, there was only one biotech company. From that came 40 companies, and now today there are 400 life science and biotech companies, all who can basically trace their roots back to that original hybrid company. So that's what happens when you have a successful entrepreneurial venture. So you actually were in Silicon Valley almost from the beginning of what we would consider the series of booms. I started working in Silicon Valley in 1969 at Fairchild Semiconductor, which was the first semiconductor company. And I can remember when the CEO of the company brought all of the employees into the auditorium and announced that that was the day that we shipped more semiconductor chips than walnuts. Because up until 1969, the biggest product in Silicon Valley was walnuts. Now, you can't buy walnuts in Silicon Valley anymore, but that was the start. That's really only 36, 37 years ago. So you can build a community, a high-tech community like Silicon Valley in a relatively short period of time because by 1985, Silicon Valley was really humming. So what, what are the key components that made Silicon Valley so successful? Well, I think uh, there were three. One is um, Stanford University. So the professor in the engineering school, Dr. Terman, uh, was the kind of person that encouraged his students to go out and start companies. Two of his students were David Packard and uh, 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 Hewlett and Packard. Um, That gave the Valley a feeling of, I can do it too, because they weren't any better than anybody else. So you can look around and you can say, if they can make it, I can make it. The second thing was, in addition to the encouragement of entrepreneurship, there was a, 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 a kind of a California attitude of risk. It's okay to take risk. Sometimes you learn more from your failures, so take a risk and see what you can learn. And the third was there was the beginning of availability of capital. 
So investors were looking for the next new thing, and Silicon Valley was where some of those things happened. So the three things you need are an encouragement from a local university that has a strong engineering school and strong research. The University of Hawaii at Manoa is very, very strong. So that's a good kind of uh, symbolic example for Hawaii. The second thing is you need people who are willing to take risk and are, are not afraid of failure. Uh, Hawaii needs a little help in that area sometimes. And then the third thing is the availability of capital, some people who are willing to take risk and understand that they're going to lose some of the time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Barry Weinman, co-founder of Allegis Capital. Barry, what do you think is the outlook for Hawaii's tech industry from you know here on? Well, I think people are have been struggling for a period of time trying to figure out how to grow the, the tech community, and I don't want to present myself as somebody who knows how to do that. I thought I knew how to do that. Um, I think the university is a great linchpin. I think... Uh, Organizations like Highbeam, which encouraged entrepreneurs to take risk and mentor them, was important. I think the area of capital formation is where Hawaii needs most of its uh, development. You hit your success um, in California. What brought you back to Hawaii and the interest in helping the University of Hawaii and the people here? Well, I have a long-term love affair with Hawaii. I uh, served in the Navy here in the early 60s on a destroyer in Pearl Harbor called the Pineapple Fleet, and I met my wife, who was a student at the University of Hawaii over at Hamilton Library. I was out trolling and uh, got a little lucky. Um, and so, and we got married here. Uh, we uh, spent a couple of years living here in the 60s, and then went away for a long period of time. And it was one Christmas, about six, six or seven years ago, where uh, one of our Christmas parties that we were supposed to go to got canceled, and we weren't sure what to do. So we just went to the airport, decided to get on the first plane going to someplace warm, and that happened to be to Oahu. <laughs> we wound up here, <laughs> and then we've been here since. Was there any point in your career where it was kind of a tipping point or a period where you just hit a massive breakthrough, where things just really started to roll? Well, I think, uh, obviously, when you start a company, that's a tipping point one way or the other. With the success of our software company, it gave us the ability to uh, begin investing in other entrepreneurs. And in 1980, we created uh, a venture fund to do that. And in Silicon Valley at the time, there were a number of venture funds, but they were all relatively small. 
Our first fund was $19 million. Uh, today, uh, we invest $19 million in a single company. Back then, that's a qu- quite a bit of money, though, right? Well, there were no $100 million funds. Today, there are multi-billion dollar funds, and the entire industry was only $200 million in size. Today, uh, well, in 1999, the industry raised $100 billion. So you can see it was very small at the time. Everybody knew everybody. And you were 10% of the industry <laughs> then. Well, when I say we raised $19 million, the way it's the money is taken down over a four year period of time, so you're really taking down about five million a year out of a two hundred million a year uh fundraising effort so we wouldn't want to call ourselves ten percent of the industry but that market share still is pretty large considering well, right? relatively uh, a big fund at that time would be forty or fifty million, so we were a mid sized fund at nineteen million today if you have a nineteen million dollar fund they don't even allow you in the book um, and I think what happened is that uh we hit a couple of very early successes. And in the venture business, if you have a failure, you lose, you can lose 100% of your money. But if you have a win, you can win 100 times your money, and people forget about the failures. And so we had a few of those. Uh, we have a number uh, of companies that we've taken public. Uh, some of them you, you may be familiar with, where you might even use the product, like Palm. We were the original investor in Palm Computing. We were the original investor in 3Com, which is Ethernet, the first Ethernet company. So we have things where we pioneered new markets, kind of exciting. And that I would consider to be a tipping point. You mentioned that after um, the success with the merger with Hewlett-Packard that you were interested in helping other entrepreneurs um, creating this fund. Um, How did you learn the value of giving back to the community, working with the community, and being successful at the same time? Well, I think... um, it takes a, it takes some time to 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 learn that process. Uh, we were kind of lucky. The community helped us. Uh, we were early, and we were growing together. And everybody knew everybody. And it was a small community in Silicon Valley at that time. Um, it's much bigger now, and 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 I I don't even know most of the people anymore. But uh, it was a good feeling. So. We've always, both my wife and I, have always felt that it's been a good life and uh, we ought to try to help some people maybe experience the same thing we had a chance to experience. So we've tried to do that in a number of ways. And was that after the success or um, during the process? Well, during the process, you're, you, you're so intensely uh, wrapped up in the process itself, it's hard to think about it. Um, for example, at the UH, University of Hawaii Foundation, we have a thing called Private Equity Initiative, which uh, I started about two years ago, and it tries to address the problem of young startups who are so wrapped up in what they're doing day to day that they don't think about the community. So what we did is we went around to a number of young companies, most of which don't have extra cash to donate, most of their employees uh, don't have money where they can donate themselves, and we asked them to give us some part of their equity. So, for example, Dustin Shindo at Hoku gave us 25,000 shares. Uh, Pat Sullivan at Hawana gave us 50,000 shares. Uh, Hawaii Biotech gave us 50,000 shares. There's a way where a young company who is wrapped up in day-to-day business can also participate in the community. And, frankly, we may be able to turn that into uh, scholarship money for students. We may be able to turn that into programs at the university, whereas the individuals couldn't have given the money. That was the lesson we learned. We didn't have cash to be able, or even time, to donate when we were building our company, but we had equity.
Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Hawaiian time, Neptunites, it's sunshine in your mouth. For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, it's sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Barry Weinman, co-founder of Allegis Capital. With his wife Virginia, Barry created the Weinman Foundation, which established the Pacific Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Hawaii. So, did you always have that kind of a perspective, or did you have a mentor that kind of hit it into your head? Um. I, I was a speechwriter and briefing officer for Admiral McCain, John McCain's father, the senator's father, who eventually came out here uh, and and became the commander of the Pacific. Uh, commander of the Pacific, uh, I worked for Admiral McCain in London uh, when he was in charge of the Navy in Europe, and he instilled in all of the officers that worked for him a a real uh, commitment to give back to the community. He was a great. Uh, uh, patriarch for many, many different uh, uh, organizations. He helped young people wherever he could. He was a true leader, much like his son is today. And I would say that he was uh, the one who really gave me at least my perspective on that. My wife, on the other hand, comes from a family of entrepreneurs who have always taken risk, always struck out and done things, and she was just born to do that. Could you tell us a little bit about the Weinman Foundation and how it works together with the University of Hawaii? Well, we created this in 1998 for the purpose of trying to help specific organizations that kind of matched some of the thoughts and, and goals we had. So what we do is we look each year at, oh, probably two or three dozen potential places to be involved with and our attitude is to try to do more than just write a check it's to be involved so like my wife's on the board uh, in Hawaii here of Children's Alliance they that's an organization that uh, helps uh, sexually abused children uh, but more than just uh, giving money to that organization she tries to work with that organization on on the programs um, at the University of Hawaii when we uh, started the Pacific Asian Center for Entrepreneurship. We also 
helped recruit Rob Robinson, who has been a major contributor, I think, to the entrepreneur community in Hawaii and and spent a lot of time uh, lecturing classes, helping structure some of the programs. So we tend to get more than uh, more involved than just being check writers. We're working right now on a uh, scholarship program, and we want to be uh, almost adoptive parents to the students that get those scholarships. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii.